I was reading the other day uh, in, in the Word, and this sentence captured my attention. It's an amazing statement. We're going to talk about it this morning. If you want to look at Psalm chapter 131, starting in verse 1, but this particular statement, the psalmist said, I have kept my soul calm and quiet. And I thought, what an amazing statement. It caused me to want to dig around a little bit more and find out what was going on there. I have kept my soul calm and quiet. Psalm 131, verse 1, is a song. That's what psalms means. They're songs. It's a song by David for going up to worship. O Lord, my heart is not conceited. My eyes do not look down on others. I am not involved in things too big or too difficult for me. Instead, I have kept my soul calm and quiet. There it is. My soul is content as a weaned child is content in its mother's arms. Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and forever. Now, this song was written by King David, and it is called one of the Psalms of Ascent, a song for going up. The people made their pilgrimages to Jerusalem, and those were tedious journeys, long journeys, and in order to keep up the morale, you know, better than singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall, they would sing songs like this that were much more theologically correct. And so David wrote this song. It was a prayer of his own, but he shared it with his people so that they could use it as a prayer and a song too. And I suppose there would have been times that you would have heard people on their way on the pilgrimage, on their way up to Jerusalem, singing this song. And I think it's interesting that it's, it's, it's only, you know, it's, we just got three verses here. Um, but David starts by telling us three things that he is not so that he can then tell us the one thing that he is. And I want you to get your pen your, and your, uh, your Bible out or your notepad or your iPad or phone or however it is that you take notes. And I want you to take notice as we try to break these three verses down, what's going on. How is it that David is able to make the comment, my soul is calm and quiet? That sounds like something I want. Is that something you would like? to? You know, sometimes you find yourself as much, and as, 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 much as you long to be this way, you find yourself just in your spirit just bouncing around. Just You feel more like a pinball in a pinball machine than you do an individual who is calm and quiet. It's just sometimes our decisions cause this. Sometimes life causes this. Sometimes other people's decisions cause this. And you find yourself just saying... I, Man, I, I know uh, the Lord. I know I should be. I'm, I pray. 
but yet I'm right now in my spirit for whatever, I'm just so fidgety. I'm just so, I don't know, I'm just so antsy. I'm so spiritually ADD. I just can't settle myself down. And I believe that David tells us the three things he is not so he can tell us the one thing that he is so that we can understand what we can't be in order to be calm and quiet and so he can tell us what we can be in order to be calm and quiet and then so he can eventually tell us how to get that. All in three verses. All in one song. He starts by saying, the first thing, I am not, I'm calm and quiet, I am not conceited. Oh Lord, my heart is not conceited. You ever noticed that many times the reason that people are conceited is it's because of insecurity? Have you ever noticed that? A lot of people that are conceited are conceited and arrogant because they are insecure. These are the kind of individuals that are constantly fishing for a pat on the back. They constantly need affirmation. They constantly need somebody run around behind them and pat them and tell them you're good, you're smart, you're great, you're pretty, whatever the case is. They, they need that affirmation all the time. The reason that some people need affirmation all the time is because they are insecure. I'm not getting on to you if that's you. I'm just saying that the reason that your soul is not calm and quiet if you're conceited is because you are insecure. And your soul can't be calm and quiet if you're insecure. David said he'd reached a point in his life where he's able to make this statement. Basically what he's saying is, I'm good. I'm good with who I am. I know who I am. I'm secure with who I am. I don't need somebody running around pat me on the back every 15 seconds to tell me I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm good. I've been through a lot. I've seen a lot. I've experienced a lot of hardship and tragedy, some of which I brought on myself. But I've reached a point in my life where, you know what? I'm who I am, I do what I want, I think what I want, I'm following the Lord, I'm good, and I really don't need anybody to like me or to pat me on the back. I'm just past that. I've become mature beyond that type of insecurity. People who are conceited are not calm and quiet in their soul. I'm not asking anyone to point at someone else, but as an individual, as we walk through these today, I want you to examine your own soul. Ask yourself, am I the kind of individual that constantly needs a pat on the back? If that's the case, there's an insecurity in me that needs to be addressed. David said, I'm not conceited. Number two, he said, my eyes don't look down on others. I am not condescending. When people look down on others, this one is because they're prideful. When you really think that you're better than someone else or better at something than someone else, you have the tendency, if you're not careful, to start looking down on others who are 
less knowledgeable about whatever that might be. Pride is such an ugly, unbecoming trait, isn't it? And those of you that struggle with pride don't realize how that those around you struggle with having to be around you because of your pride. If you've ever wondered why people start trying to leave when you show up, and you just think it's because everybody's messed up. This might be a good occasion for you to settle down for a minute and ask the Holy Spirit, where are they all going? Why are they leaving? Is it because I have to one-up every story? Is it because I have to always have the last word? Is it because I'm always bragging about my job or I'm always bragging about the latest thing that I've done? Is it because people just can't stand to listen to me being boastful and arrogant and bragging about every single thing? Condescending. Condescending is that individual who... who is so prideful that they are smug to everyone else. It reminds me of the story of the, the, the little elderly lady who went to the, the newly opened art gallery and she was standing looking at one of the exhibits, which was a contemporary painting. And the artist was standing there and he was all, you know, he was standing, had that smile and smirk on his face. He had really done something great. And she looked at him and she said, young man, what is that supposed to be? And he said, well, it's supposed to be a mother and her child. And she said, well, then why isn't it? And some of you have stood in front of those paintings yourself and tried to act like you knew. Oh, yeah. Oh, I get it. I see it. You don't get it and you don't see it, and neither did the guy that did it. He just got a lot of money for doing it. You could have done it if you just stood back and thrown paint at a wall. But the guy that did it said, man, that took me 10 years. I dreamed of that. I saw that in visions. What? What did you see? An explosion of paint thrown through a fan that landed on a canvas. It's tough to be around people that are prideful, isn't it? David in all of his glory, and all, but at this point in his life, he, he's, he, is, he is glorious, he is famous, he is wealthy, he is powerful, but he's not prideful. Because he's been around long enough to realize that everything had come from the Lord. It was not due to his own making. It was, only God is the only one that could have taken a little shepherd boy. See, people don't get that so many times. When they arrive at where they think they were going and they start taking pride in who they are and what they've accomplished, they need to remember where they came from. That only God could take a shepherd boy out of a, out of a pasture on the backside with a bunch of little smelly sheep and make him the most historically well-known king that ever existed. David, at this point in his life, knew, I didn't do this. I couldn't have done this. How would I have gotten to this throne? How would I have gotten to this place? I couldn't get there from where I was. God had to do this. 
And people who understand that can be calm and quiet in their soul. But people who are full of pride cannot be. And number three, David said, I'm not controlling. Look at it, it says, I'm not trying to get involved in things that are too big or difficult for me. I'm not trying to control things that are above my pay grade. When people try to control everything and everyone, are you ready for this? It is because they are fearful. Think of the most controlling people that you know. Don't point at them. And they appear on the outside to be strong and tough and able and confident, but they're not. The reason they act that way is because they're so afraid. That's why they always have to be in control. They're afraid to turn loose of everything because if they ever do, they're afraid of what the outcome might be. As long as they're in control, they think they might be able to sway the outcome of every event. But here's what you need to understand. You can think about it, plan for it, work for it, do everything you want to do, and yet you still cannot control the amount of days you will live on this planet. You cannot make yourself live longer. Scripture said in Hebrews, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. God knows the day you're coming. He knows the day you're going. And you can't add a second. You, any more than you can make yourself grow. Man, I, I would have liked to, you know, I always looked up to my dad. I always wanted to be as tall as him. He was about 6'5". You know, I didn't make it. I thought about it. Stretched. Huh? You ever try to stretch and get taller? Think about it long enough and get taller? You can't get taller. You can't live longer. And for those of you that think you can build wealth, you can't even add to your bank account if God doesn't bless you and allow you to do it. As smart as you think you are, you think you did this, you did not do this. You can't keep yourself well, although it's a good idea to try. We're supposed to try to take care of the temple that God has given us so that we give ourselves a chance to live and accomplish the purpose while we're here. But the bottom line is, you can't make yourself well. Good to be a positive thinker. But God is the one who gives breath and life. You're not going to live a day longer. You're not going to be able to fix anybody else's problems no matter how hard you try. For all of you that are so controlling, you think if you could fix somebody else's problems and the world will be better. The problem is you can only fix the, the results of their mess, but they still get to keep making decisions. So the minute you fix this, they're going to mess up again. You can't control them. David said you, you can't have a calm quiet soul if you're trying to control things what do you do pastor well, this is the guy that was the, the most powerful perhaps king of all of history he's saying the best thing to do pray about it and go lay in a hammock i mean you don't use hammock in there because i don't know i don't know why we don't find any hammocks in scripture but i know we're gonna have to surely they're gonna be in heaven
God is the only one that's in control. And David is mature enough at this point in his life to realize it. Controlling people are not calm and quiet in their soul. But then David goes on to tell us the one thing that he is. He said, I'm not those three, but I am this one. I am content. In fact, he said, I am as content as a weaned baby in its mother's arms. And you need to understand a little bit about the social context of that statement right there. In our culture, we tend to wean our babies uh, at a younger age than perhaps in that culture. From the, the, the things that I read historically, it sounds like that a lot of the babies uh, in his culture and in his time weren't considered weaned until they were toddlers, sometimes three years old. That'd be kind of weird now. But David was saying, I've noticed something about these little toddlers running around. He said, I've noticed that they don't cry anymore that they can't nurse. They don't need that. He said, the thing that makes them content now is just being near their mama. Just for her to hold them in their arms. They're content. They don't need the nourishment of that. They don't need the nutrition of that anymore. They, they don't, they, they're not needy like they used to be. They're not depending completely upon mama for sustenance. But they do enjoy still the security of her company. What's he saying? I've grown up. I'm not as demanding of God or people as I used to be. I'm not as needy as I was when I was immature. A calm and quiet soul is a soul that has matured to the point in their walk with Christ that they're not constantly needy, clingy, crying. You know why? There's a couple of reasons why we can't do prayer requests anymore in our services. And one of them is because in two services you get several hundred people together. You know how long that would take. Number two, the reason we actually quit it was when we were a lot smaller. And it was because it was the same people every week. Pray for me. I think I might have lost an eyelash. But God cares about those things, Pastor. Sure he does. He cares about them. But the rest of us don't. Tell him. Leave me out of it. <laughs> you like it when I get real? Some folks, man. Pray for me. This morning I got up. I didn't know whether to eat cornflakes or Cheerios, so I'm calling you, Pastor. I've also got to decide what color socks to wear, so I need you to get the prayer chain together. David's saying, I'm no longer discontent. I'm no longer insecure. I'm no longer prideful. I'm no longer fearful. But trusting fully in God had given him the peace to make him fully content. He said, I'm still depending on God. I, no doubt, I still depend on I don't breathe if he don't give me my next breath. And I realize that. I'm still depending on God. But I'm less demanding than I used to be. 
This is a, I want you to see this is a beautiful picture and example for us. This, this is a picture of the balanced life of abundance that God wants for all of us. Some people never get here. They never get to this balanced life of abundance because they continue to stay on those three C's that we talked about to begin with. And they never find this place that Pastor Kyle talked about earlier of rest in the spirit. They never find that place of contentment. And so... David writes as the final verse of this chapter the following words. He says, these are the, I believe these are the key to this balance and this peace and this contentment. Look at verse 3. Israel, here it is. Put your hope in the Lord now and forever. Be done with it. Do it once and for all. Put your hope in the Lord. I'm not bad-mouthing psychiatrists and psychologists and book learning and all those, which you know I'm for all that stuff. But I'm telling you something. A lot of you could save a lot of money and a lot of stress and a lot of time if you would just fully put your hope in the Lord. Not bits and pieces and categories and segments and other parts that you decide to hold on to. The parts you're holding on to are costing you time, money, energy, and stress. If you put your hope in the Lord and leave it there, your soul can become calm and quiet. Publius Cyrus said this back in 42 BC. Anyone can hold the helm when the sea is calm. But a lot of people never, never surrender their life to Christ so that he can completely take control. In that loss of control, in that giving up of control is where is found the calm and the rest and the quiet and the peace and the contentment. Let me finish this with a story. The following is instructions on how to react to hungry pythons as given to peace corpsmen serving in Brazil. Listen to what they were training those young men to do. In case they were ever attacked by a python, they said, lay down and lay still. Don't try to outrun it. It's faster than you are. Well, that's number one where we're going to mess up probably. But let's just say we do that. That we recognize we can't win the race and so we lay down like he said. And then he goes on to say, lay flat on the ground, on your back, with your feet together, arms at your side, head well down. The python will then try to push its head under you, experimenting at every possible point. Keep calm. That was underscored at this point. Can you imagine? I'm about to be eaten by a python. Lay still, keep calm. Oh, it gets worse. You must let him swallow your foot. It's quite painless. Can you imagine the guy that's writing this? He's been there, done that, right? He's got the t-shirt. 
been there, done that, got a t-shirt for it, was eaten by a snake. Here's how you survive being eaten by a snake. He said, it's quite painless and it will take a long time. If you lose your head and struggle, he will quickly whip his coils around you. But if you keep calm and still, he will go on swallowing. Wait patiently until he has swallowed up to about your knee. And then carefully take out your knife, insert it into the distended side of his mouth, and with a quick rip, slit him up. Now, how calm and quiet would you have to be in order to follow those instructions? <laughs> I'm going to lay here, just lay here, twiddle my thumbs until he has swallowed me up to the knees. And at some point, well, I guess it's time to get the knife out calmly. Don't want to make any sudden moves. Just got to stay calm and quiet. But if you don't, you die. Some of us in this room spiritually feel like we are in the midst of being swallowed by a python. And we have tried to outrun been caught and it's hard to lay still and the coils are getting tight we can't find the knife and we keep on reading and we keep on praying and we keep on running and we keep on trying and we keep on working and we keep on doing and we keep on moving and we keep on rolling around we keep on and on and on and on and we keep on praying, but the snake won't die. Oh, God, why don't you kill the snake? He said, just relax. Just relax. It is hard, isn't it, to stay calm and quiet. But here's what is so interesting about this sentence. Look at this, what David says. David says, I have kept my soul calm and quiet. Nobody did this for me. God didn't even do this. God helped him. God was with him. But David at some point in his life made a conscious choice to stop being those three things so he could be the one. In order to do it, he at one point in his life somewhere fully put his hope in the Lord and then he just laid down and let the snake do his business. Whatever. Try to swallow me if you can. He just at some point said, you know, I've got Absalom over here who's tried to kill me. i got all these over here that have been trying to kill me. There's a whole lot of people that hate me. There's a lot of people that want me dead. A bunch of people want what I've got. Lots of them want my kingdom. I've just decided. I've just decided. 
at this point in my life, I'm going to be calm and quiet. It's a choice. If we put our hope fully in the Lord, now and forever, the scripture said he will give us contentment and the contentment he gives us will allow us to have the ability to choose to be calm and quiet in our soul. All the way down, he said, calm and quiet all the way down to our soul, which is the deepest, most innermost place of our being and existence. Today we're going to take communion. My hope is that everyone here today, by the time they take communion, will be doing so with a calm and a quiet soul. It's crazy. I found myself this morning sitting in my office. And I was thinking about all that we have to There's a lot going on today. We got two services and we got a board meeting and we got Randy, the seven-year anniversary of our Hispanic congregation. And there's a lot of places I'm trying to be and I'm trying to run and go and not forget anything. And I found myself in the midst of preparing to come over and preach this. I, all of a sudden, I just out loud, I was like, I am not calm and quiet. I am not. Lord, I'm in no position to go tell people how to be calm and quiet. I am fidgety. I'm antsy. I'm trying to remember everything. This is not the way I wanted to. And so you know what I did? Oh, man. Some of y'all are going to say, you are a hippie. I turned around to my computer and I clicked on Keith Green. Creating me a clean heart. Some of y'all remember Keith Green. You remember Keith Green? Anybody remember Keith Green? Do you know Keith Green used to do concerts in our church back in the 70s when we were a hippie church? We still are, if you didn't know. We haven't ever fit the box of everybody else. He used to come in and do those concerts in our church. One year he came to do a concert here. He loved that He loved that concert grand piano that we had. He loved it so much he was going on a world tour. And he asked the church, can I have that piano? And our deacons gave him that piano. And he took it on tour with them. And then he bought the church a piano and sent it back. And that piano burned in the fire. But Keith Green had an amazing effect on my life as a youngster, as a teenager, at a time whenever our, whenever there, there just was beginning to be such a thing as Christian rock and roll. Most of the church thought anybody that listened to it was going straight to hell. But it was redemption for me because I was going straight to hell because of the other stuff that I was playing. And then when I, and then when I ran across that, I was like, wow, well, you know. If you could be saved and do this, I guess I, I guess I can stay on the planet, you know. And I would lay in my room at night and turn on that radio and listen to Keith Green and Resurrection Band, Petra, second chapter of Acts. And I remembered that this morning when I was sitting in there and I was fidgety. I was like, God, I got to settle down. And I flipped around and clicked on, creating me a clean heart, oh God.
Renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord, but take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation and renew a right spirit in me. And I didn't have to sit there very long and all of a sudden I'm listening to that song and I realize, man, I hope Deb doesn't, you know, because Deb always comes in before I come over here to check on me and I'm sitting there crying. I'm like, I hope she don't come in. Because I've done melted in my chair I have become calm and quiet in the presence of the Lord praying that prayer create in me a clean heart maybe the same effect that the people who sang David's song on their way to Jerusalem I want to be calm I want to be quiet I want to be content I want to be mature I want to be solid I want to be faithful. I want to be consistent. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like somebody wants to be more like Jesus. So that was the other song I listened to by Keith Green. I want to be more like Jesus. You remember that one? And then I really was crying, and then I really was hoping she wouldn't come in. I didn't want her to catch me in there. There's a calmness. There is a quiet There is a peace that passes all understanding. God wants your life to be balanced. He doesn't want you constantly struggling and fighting to keep from being swallowed by the python. He just wants you to put your hope in Him fully and then relax. Pastor, life will go on. Yeah, I know it'll go on. Well, things happen. Still got kids. I know. I understand. I still got a job. I understand that. But there is a way. There is a way for us to settle down in the presence of the Lord and be calm and quiet. And today in our time of communion, that is what I'm praying will happen for us as a church. First of all, that every person here who has not fully fully put their hope in Christ would do so fully put your hope in Christ how do I do it right there where you're sitting pray that prayer Jesus if I haven't done that help me maybe you know you haven't right there where you're sitting Jesus I've talked to you maybe lots of times but today today I'm ready to fully put my hope in you I'm ready to surrender my heart, my mind, my life, my money, my kids, my husband, my wife, my job, my sickness, my sin. I am ready to completely surrender all of that and I fully put my hope in you and I'm not holding anything back. Nobody's looking. Everybody's praying. I want to ask a question. If there's anybody here today that's saying, Pastor, I'm praying that prayer today for the first time in my life. I am I am surrendering myself to Christ and asking Him to take complete charge of my life. I want to see your hand. Anybody that's praying that prayer right now saying, I'm doing this. I am, com- I am going to take advantage. I am completely surrendering my life to Christ. Put them up. I see them. Put them up. How many others? All right. You can put them down. Thank you. Thank you for being honest.
Thank you for being transparent, for being vulnerable. 